You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everybody, it's Adam, live and in person for you. Hey everybody, it's Adam, wonder who he'll interview. Deborah Ann Bird has achieved her dreams of performing Shakespeare classics and becoming one of the most sought-out actors to play Othello. Now, Deborah Ann is burying it all with Call Me Adam to discuss how she defied race, gender, and a tough upbringing to get to where she is today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Deborah Ann Bird. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm so excited that I get to talk to you live in person, as as live as in person as we can be today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so exciting. Absolutely. Um, I just watched your fantastic documentary, Becoming Othello, all about your life. And uh, there, there are so many things that I related to, and there are so many great things I can't wait to talk about. So I, I think we should just get started. Okay, sounds great. Um, So first, we're going to start talking uh, about your legacy and what you want your legacy to be. So X amount of years from now, when somebody mentions Deborah Ann Bird, what do you hope people say about you? Wow. Um, I hope what people would say, that girl, she was a good girl. She really gave. She really served. She really helped somebody. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, you definitely have you definitely have helped people. You definitely have served people. I mean, watching. I'm going to go back to the documentary and just watching how what a challenging childhood you had growing up, and that you persevered and you you know you have survived. You survived it. Where did you keep getting the strength? Where do you keep? Where do you think you kept getting the strength to? Um, to just keep moving forward and to keep persevering. And mm-hmm. um, how do you want that strength to, to also like play into your legacy of your life? Well, I, I know for sure that my strength came from my days and times that I spent at church um, or while I was not at church in prayer um, or singing um, and singing, um, all kinds of things, but mostly singing the kinds of gospel songs that I learned at church. Um, I always was able to bounce back um, through faith. That was the really biggest part, Um, you know, because I like to sing, um, the songs of, of, of the church were really great, you know, and then they're repetitive. And there's something about being repetitive um, hearing the same thing over and over and over that reinforces. It's almost like it um, it grabs you in a way that you don't forget it. So even now when I'm upset or something's going wrong, I start hearing a gospel song and the gospel, I allow the gospel song, I start singing it and I allow it to fill me up so that I can regain some strength and regain some energy and regain some stamina and regain some wherewithal to just, yo, I got this. What's up? I'm not I'm not down. I'm not crazy. I'm not gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna be okay. And so 
some gospel songs do that for me. And sometimes it's a scripture that just pops into my head, um, will come to me and, and help me to just shift so that I don't go into a downtrodden space, so I don't go into a sad space, so I don't go into a, a space that makes me feel hopeless and helpless. Mm. That's, That's where it comes from. And I hope that my legacy, you said legacy. Yes. I hope that in, in, in my legacy, that folks can see that and remember that, that sometimes we have to reach for that which is larger than us, higher than us. Um, whatever brings you inspiration and joy, whatever brings you lovely, think on that. Mm. That's beautiful. Do you think, do you feel like, especially during this time with the pandemic, have you relied on that strength more than, than you would maybe pre-pandemic? Yep. Because <laughs> sometimes we get comfortable, we get happy, we get, you know, life is going on and on and everything's good. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a praying girl here and there, but I'm not a regular everyday Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, go to church girl like mm -hmm. I used to be. I used to be in church three times a week, sometimes mm -hmm. four. Um, I'm not that same girl anymore. But um, since the pandemic, I'm not in church three, four times a day, a week, but I am constantly, constantly being, having to be uh, prayed up is what I call it. Having to be, um, having to remember my songs and my scriptures because the world has been really, um, I call it heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of heavy lifting that we had to do. If you want to push forward, if you just want to lay down and just, you know, uh, then you don't have to do any work. Yes. But if you intend to be okay mm -hmm. post um, pandemic, if you intend to be okay even now, every day, one day at a time, one step at a time, one moment at a time, then you're going to have to do some work. Mm -hmm. And that work means just shaking yourself, taking a deep breath and figuring out how do I be okay? What makes me happy? What makes me smile? What brings me joy? What are those things? Find out what that is and cling to it because that's the only way to survive the storm. And if you a praying child, get the praying. <laughs> how do you want your that documentary and your journey to becoming Othello, how do you want that to um, play into your legacy and also, inspire other black female actresses to um you know go after what they want okay um before we get all into that question okay let's say this i'm working on a documentary film yes i'm also working on a solo show and i'm also working on a memoir and mm. all of them are surrounded or uh, all of them have becoming Othello a black girl's journey as the core of what that project is. What has been filmed so far, the documentary film has been filmed, but the documentary film is a different project. Oh. So what we're working on now and what you had a chance to see, which, um, which we're still even working on now um, for, the, for when the tours come back is the solo show. Oh, so okay. I am, so, so that's me and my playwright hat. Yes. So I became this playwright girl, right? Mm -hmm. Wow, whoever thought that would happen. But <laughs> I, I, I became a playwright girl. And I wrote my solo show. 
um, with the help of Tanya Taylor Rubenstein and with the help of uh, Tina Packer. Tina Packer is the um, the the founding artistic director at Shakespeare and Company. And I said, Tina, I'm writing a solo show and I really need your help. And she's like, oh, Deborah Ann, I'm a little busy. And, you know, and I'm like, Tina, Tina, let me tell you, in my prayer time, I saw your face. You the one, Tina. And so Tina Packer and I, after I worked with Tanya Taylor Rubenstein, who is a story coach, we sat down and, and really hashed that script out and really looked at every moment, every second of the play to figure out what is, how to best tell this story to audiences. Mm -hmm. And as a, uh, um, and what was really important, the becoming Othello part was really important because it shows you my Shakespeare background. It shows you my love for Shakespeare. It shows you Deborah Ann, um, you know, Diva Dab, who decided that she was going to become the general of a Venetian army. Mm -hmm. You know, whoa, girl, you, first of all, you got to become the general of a Venetian army. But that general of a Venetian army is not just a general, it's a man. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. How are you going to become a man who's the general of a Venetian army? Hmm. Well, girl, you got a lot of work to do. And so in my working on that as an actress, just playing Shakespeare's Othello, that was one journey alone that was a great big challenge, um, a great big uh, life-changing moment in my life, in my time in my time on the planet, let me say it like that. And I um, I felt like there were many things happening to me that I knew that I couldn't be the only person on the planet that it ever happened to. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments when anything significant would happen or even small would happen, things that shook my soul, things that caused me to be crazy upset or in pain, or extremely happy, I said, I gotta write about this. I gotta write about this. And knowing that I've always wanted to um, be in a solo show, and then knowing that I've always wanted to write um, uh, my life story. I mean, at, 20, at 25, I want to write my life story. Mm -hmm. At 18, I want to write my life story. But who writes life stories that young? but I had had so many things going on in my world that I wanted to do. And so I didn't know if Becoming Othello was a solo show or if Becoming Othello was a, uh, was a, uh, a memoir. Mm. And so I said, well, let me just try both. And so <laughs> <laughs> I prayed up a storm like I always do. And the first person I saw in my mind's eye was Paul Edmondson and mm. Paul Edmondson, um, I said, God, who's going to help me? And he came to, you know, his face came to me. And so I reached out to Paul. I've actually seen him at a conference and, and I was like, oh, it's you. And so I said, I said, Paul, I have this project and I believe that you're supposed to help me with it. And he said, well, let me think about that. And then he went back to his organization, which is the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust. And he was excited. He told them about the project and they said, let's bring you out to the UK and let's keep you for a month and let's make you writer in residence so that you can write these things. Mm 
And so that happened. And then when I was uh, I was there, they said, uh, uh, Katie Brokaw said, you need to go to the Folger, which is the American version of the Birthplace Trust. And maybe they can help you as well. And then the Folger uh, gave me a fellowship and helped me um, to figure out some research and how to write this thing and what the content might be. And it, it was a really beautiful thing. And then Columbia Virt University did the same thing. And and uh, Southwest Shakespeare, and so I'm. I was on this journey, and I was like, I gotta write this. I gotta write this, and so I did it. I wrote it. I I, I workshopped it um, with Tina up at Shakespeare and Company in Massachusetts, and then I went to do a workshop back in the UK of the solo show, and then I was supposed to have a big opening night celebration at um, uh, on 42nd Street, and then another celebration up in Harlem, and then COVID set. Mm -hmm. Whew. Okay. I had a tour lined up with 15 locations around the world, and COVID smacked the heck out of that. Mm -hmm. And all I could do was say, Damn. And it wasn't just the show that made me upset, losing the show. It wasn't just the three years I had worked on the show that made me upset. It was the fact that I was banking on really trying to become financially independent because for many years, all of my life, I had been what I was calling a ward of the state. Mm -hmm. And what that means is either I was in foster care somewhere, being a ward of the state, or I was uh, recently divorced and on uh, uh, and and then after working and breaking my leg, and then my daughter being so sick and she needed the kind of medical attention she needed. I had to be on public assistance, and and you know, and, and a special kind. And so I was locked into that system for so long. And finally, becoming Othello was going to give me the kind of, I was hoping it was going to give me the kind of income that I needed to break free of those things. Mm -hmm. And and then I was lined up and this was contract here, contract there, thousand dollars here, a few thousand dollars there, a few thousand dollars there, a few thousand dollars everywhere. And then all of a sudden, boom, no thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. You have to stay in the state you're in. And I said, hey, no, I will not, I cannot, I shall not. And so to any young woman, whether they're um, young women who are African-American and from the hood, like I say, yo, I'm from the hood, yo. I mean, whether you straight up from the hood or wherever you're from, when life crashes down like this, you got to figure it out. Get the praying and figure it out. Get the pen out, get quiet, get alone, get by yourself for a minute and think it through. What am I going to do? Mm. How am I going to be okay? Mm. How am I not gonna lie in the bed and just die? See, I did that already. I did that already. I already came past that. I came past the point where I lie in the bed, put the covers up over my head, gain a hundred pounds and just lay there to die. I did that already. That's mm -hmm. old. That don't work. Let me tell you now. That don't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that's how the show started off. Uh, well, not not directly off, but 
but yes, uh, yes, yes. But at the beginning, of towards the beginning of the of the play, That's act one, scene one. Yes, there you are. <laughs> oh, the covers over your head. That doesn't work. No. So you have to figure out what to do and how to be your best you and how to be your best you for you and for the people around you. You know, how to find that, how do you ignite the self-love in you that's gonna take care of you that also takes care of other people at the same time? That's what we're looking for. That's what I'm trying to get other young women to know or other young men to know. How do you find your best you and how does that best you serve you and others? Mm-hmm. That's important. Yes. That's what yeah. that story is about. Yes. And, you know, I, if I said there's one last thing of what that story about, that story is about how to have victory over hopelessness and helplessness. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? And I learned we do that by serving ourselves, loving ourselves, serving others, loving others. Everyone can find it, yes. their own. Mine is, mine is through Shakespeare and speaking and acting. Someone else's could be, they're a carpenter and they build houses. Someone else's can be, they're Adam and they do interviews to, to get into the depths of people's souls so they can share their stories. It can be anything, just find it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it is different for everybody. Absolutely. Before we dive deeper into this fantastic and important conversation, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue chatting with the incredible Deborah Ann Bird. Priceline presents Go to Your Happy Price. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. You can see yourself already there. It's beautiful. It might be sunny and sandy for some, neon and urban for others, deserts or rainforests or hiking trails. With Priceline, you can get to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else like up to 60% off select hotels to Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to Priceline.com and travel to your happy place for a happy price. All right, see ya. I'm off to Miami. No, actually, wow, look at that. No, I'm going to Hawaii now. Ooh, Cancun looks nice. You know what? Belize looks pretty nice this time of year. Or, mmm, Palm Springs. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For the fourth year in a row, Don is partnering with iHeartRadio for Can't Cancel Pride, a campaign that has raised over $11 million for the LGBTQ community. Don continuously strives to celebrate visibility and inclusivity for all, and that means supporting amazing organizations like Centerlink, providing safe spaces where over 52,000 community members go each week to receive critical and life-saving services. Don is there for your home, or your home away from home. So visit can'tcancelpride.com to learn more. Hey everyone, my name is Deborah Ann Bird, and you're listening to Bearing It All with Call Me Adam. And now we're back. The other thing I do definitely want to touch on in, in the legacy portion is the Harlem Shakespeare Festival. Yes. Um, so uh, what do you want people to know about that, about your you know, creation of it and your involvement in it? Um, what do you want to tell people? Well, the Harlem Shakespeare Festival um, is, a, a, I like to call her a beautiful baby. <laughs> see, she was born out of um, Take Wing and Soar Productions. And in order to talk about Harlem Shakespeare, you have to talk about Take Wing and Soar. 
So Take Wing and Soar Productions is a theater company that I formed back in 2000, back in, actually in 1999. In 1999, Take Wing and Soar Productions was a company that was offering what I was calling theatrical support services. So if any uh, theater um, uh, theater company or like upstart uh, directors who wanted to produce a show or producers who were just trying to figure it out or someone who were trying to figure out how to do their playbills, whatever it was, I made myself available to be their assistant or mm. to actually do it for you. And so that was theatrical support services. By by 2001, I had graduated college. And right before graduation, you know, I, I went to college, first of all, so I can be a Shakespearean actress. That's the whole purpose for going. Of course, yes, I did want to be the first person in my family to go to college. Yes, I did want to get out of the bed and not die. Yes, I did want uh, to, uh, to do, you know, to make my career in theater uh, legit, you know, more legit by having a degree. All of those were true, but the real truth is I really wanted to learn Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And I figured if I went to college, I would not only learn Shakespeare, I could do all those other things as well. So on my exit interview, before I was leaving school, I was told by a bona fide agent that I would not have a career in the classics, or I probably would not have a career in the classics because, you know, as a brown girl of a certain age, I might as well kind of like forget about it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, well, damn, I just spent my thousands and thousands of dollars to get this, to do this, to be this, to have this. Mm -hmm. And you're saying to me that it's going to not be possible? Because I live in a world where I live in an America <laughs> where it's not possible because I'm brown. Mm. What's that? I don't like that idea. I didn't just spend all those thousands of dollars for, for me to walk away with that in my head. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I was going to form a theater company that made sure that classically trained actors of color graduating with BFAs and MFAs would have a safe space to go, to be, to create, to be able to do and play whatever roles that their talent would allow them to play. Mm -hmm. And so I set out and I did it. And I, I went back to my community. I got some women. I got some lawyers. I got whoever I had to get in order to make this company a reality. And so for, for after 10 years of running that company and doing uh, shows, uh, you know, we, our focus was um, women and classically trained actors of color. So mm -hmm. there were five board women, four board member women and, and th hundreds of classically trained actors of color. Mm -hmm. I would seek them out, especially, and give them roles. And it was not just, um, people of color cast. Mm -hmm. It was everyone extremely inclusive. I did not want people being able to say, oh, well, you did reverse of what's happening in the world. No, 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 no. We're not going to do all black and you do all white. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to do all races together, all ages together. Mm -hmm. So that you can see that this thing can work. And the only way I could thought of to make people see that it works is to physically show them. Mm -hmm. And so always at the center stage of our productions is a person of color, but there's also white folk, black folk, Asian folk, Hispanic folk, Italian folk, Jewish folk, all kinds of folk mm -hmm. you're going to find in our productions so that you can see that these people were on the stage together and the stage didn't blow up. Right. The theater didn't explode. <laughs> Right. These people lived together. This told this story, and the story made sense, and the story worked. And these actors really do have the chops to be able to speak the speech trippingly on the tongue. Yes. 
And please don't tell me you can't find them, which is one of the things that people were saying. And so I created that. And then 10 years in, I was weak. I was tired. I was weary. I was like, I don't know about this. And so I decided that I was going to create something that was going to help me around time and resources. And that thing became the Harlem Shakespeare Festival. So I went to one of my community partners, which is another theater company, New Heritage Theater Group. And I spoke to the leader, Rosa Rivers, and I said, Mr. Rivers, I would like to create the Harlem Shakespeare Festival. Will you be my partner? And he said, of course, Deborah Ann. Mm -hmm. And then here we go. We started the Harlem Shakespeare Festival and we just completed our eighth season. And so we wanted to make sure we give center stage opportunities to classically trained actors of color. We wanted to make sure that women feel empowered. We wanted to make sure that any youth who were dared to try to step into the world of classical theater, that they knew that they could be okay and that we could change the space and the world and the conversation altogether happily not going to say without issue or problem because there's mm -hmm. been some, but I see a shift since we've started. Mm -hmm. I see a change since we started. I see more and more classically trained actors and um, actors and directors and scenic designers and all of that. But the most, the biggest change that I've seen is when I started, there was only two, two, two people of color who ran uh, Shakespeare companies. Wow. There were two, two. There was myself and Sherry Boone. Mm -hmm. Two of all the Shakespeare companies in America, which there are many, over 200, mm -hmm. there were two wow. leaders of color. Now there are at least 10 or a dozen. Mm. That has changed in the last 18 years. That's and, incredible. And I'm like, and you had such a, I mean, you had such a big hand in that by doing what you did. I mean, it must feel, it must feel just terrific to be able to see, to see the change that you really created. It is, um, it is humbling. It is challenging. It is exciting. I'm at a conference now where, where they all are. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I'm, I feel like my mission and not just mission for me, mission is ministry. Mm. I feel like my ministry is, or has done that, which it's set out to do, mm. you know, um, I don't think that, um, we're totally there, mm -hmm. but I think that we've made a great big dent. Mm -hmm. Um, and not, a, uh, and then with this COVID and then this serious black lives matter movement, which brought out the BIPOC, you know, people of color movement, this is, and at first I was like, what am I doing? Am I helping? Am I going to be, am, 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 what have I been doing? And am I any significance at all? And I was starting to feel really crazy. And then I thought about it and I said, Deborah Ann, stop that boo boo. You have, for the last 18 years, been on this journey and fighting in this battle, and you have gracefully really tried to shift the planet. Mm -hmm. And 
don't think you haven't done anything. Don't think, because I was starting to feel real funky like the mm. rest of the world. Mm -hmm. People were starting to feel funky. They didn't know who they were, where they stand. They just did a moment. We see you. That was really like scary and sad. And 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 my colleagues were uh, were were being attacked, mm. both on the black side, on the white side, on the Hispanics, the, and the Asian. My Asian friends were like, I don't know what to do or say. I don't feel. I don't know. You know. And it was really difficult. And I had to shake myself and say, "Boo, you've been in the you've been in the game, you've been in the trenches. It's okay. Just keep doing what you've been doing. You don't got to do nothing extra. Mm -hmm. Just keep doing what you've been doing. You've been on the path." And yes. so I feel, um, I, I don't know. Sometimes when I even like when I finish my show, I don't know how to feel. Mm -hmm. I just know that something good is happening yes. and then that makes me smile so there's been a lot of black and brown people in shakespeare for a long time mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't know it because a lot of us who were in it all those years mm -hmm. were being kept out put out and shut out mm -hmm. and that's shifting mm -hmm. that's great that it's shifting yes yeah yes yeah yeah, dare I say it's it's an explosion right now, mm -hmm. and everyone is aware, yes. and all of the theater companies, at least the ones that I've been uh, partnering with and working with, mm -hmm. and know of, um, it's on the minds of every theater Shakespeare theater producer across mm -hmm. the globe, mm -hmm. and wow is yeah. what I say to that. Wow, yes, it's a chance for us to shift the planet through the theater. And we can, mm -hmm. if we just decide that we need to sit at the table, we need to come to the table and sit at the table and have those really tough conversations that talk about what happened, um, what is still happening and what the future needs to look like if we wanna live in a world that looks more peaceful than it had in the past where people don't get their hearts broken and people don't get hurt. And the only reason why you don't get the Shakespeare role is because you just wasn't good enough mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or because you don't fit the cast, right. not because you were black, Asian or Hispanic mm -hmm. yes. or indigenous, mm -hmm. not because of those things, right. but because this time, that girl right there, she beat you out when it came to speaking to speech trippingly. <laughs> that, like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Well, hopefully that's that's the direction that we keep moving in. Yes, yes. Yeah. That is absolutely the hope. Yes. Definitely, definitely. Well, my l last question in the legacy portion is, what's something about you that you want to, pass on to your children. Oh, wow. I I think I'd like to pass on to my children and my grandchildren because my grandchildren are really like the 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 what's in my mind lately. Mm -hmm. Um and and that thing that's pushing me towards my even five year ago. Um I'd like to pass on to them I don't know what to call it other than to say it is the ability to having done all to stand to stand, therefore. Mm. That thing that causes you to get back up mm. when life smacks you in the head, mm. that thing, 
whatever that thing is in my body, in my mind and in my soul, if I could DNA it through to my grandson, get mm -hmm. up boy. Mm. Life is gonna smack you in the head sometimes. And sometimes it'll hit you so hard that you will wanna lie down and not get up. Lie down for a second, take a few deep breaths, cry and cry and cry. Wipe your face and get up and keep moving. And not just moving in any old ordinary way with looking like a zombie. Get up and do something. Get up and live. Get up and love. Get up and find your excellence because you got some. Yes. That's what I want to pass on to my children and grandchildren. Ugh, we are unfortunately out of time for today. Part two of my interview with Deborah Ann Bird, where we talk about lessons learned, will be released soon. He'll get the dirt and the scoop and the story, for he happens to be in the know. Just ask anybody who's had him, had him, with for the business of show. Call me Adam.com. Find more episodes of Bearing It All with Call Me Adam everywhere you stream podcasts. For my print and video interviews, visit my website, callmeadam.com. Follow me on social media at callmeadamnyc on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And finally, if you really want to get involved, support my podcast on a deeper level by becoming a member of my Patreon family. Visit patreon.com slash callmeadamnyc. There, you'll get a variety of backstage perks, including advanced notice of interviews, the ability to submit a question to my guests, and everyone's favorite, swag. <laughs>